welcome back to another episode of the Reconomy Podcast, where we discuss economic issues that impact real estate, housing, and affordability. I'm Odetta Kushi, Deputy Chief Economist at First American, and here with me is Mark Fleming, Chief Economist at First American. Hi, Mark. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Hi, Odetta. Me too, especially because we're going to talk about who let the genie out of the bottle. Okay, just to clarify, this has absolutely nothing to do with Aladdin and everything to do with the Gini coefficient, which was actually the inspiration for our most recent report. So let's start out with what is the Gini coefficient and is there an easy way for people to visualize it? Well, this is going to be interesting on a podcast, isn't it? Since we don't have visual aids and, you know, economists, we all love our visual aids, but let's give this a try. This was actually something invented by a guy named Genie, G-I-N-I, not the same as Aladdin, but yet Genie, back in 1912. And it was used as a way to measure inequality of either income or wealth across countries. Um, It also uses a concept called a Lorenz curve, also by a guy named, you know, we're really inventive in economics, Max Lorenz in 1905. Um, And it's about trying to understand your relative ability uh, or earning power relative to your position in the population. So a perfectly equal society, everybody would have an equal share of the overall total earnings. Of course, those don't exist, and it's a measure of how unequal or equal that sort of sharing of the total pie is. It's uh, probably something that you might want to try and Google to see a visual aid to go along with what what we're about to discuss. I would highly recommend Googling the Lorenz curve and the Gini coefficient. But before we dig any deeper into the chart and how we're visualizing this, I think it's about time we reveal what in the world all of this has to do with housing. And in a nutshell, the Gini coefficient was actually our inspiration in developing an affordability measure for those which affordability matters the most, renters. Since a homeowner is, by definition, already able to afford a home, the one they own, the key to understanding housing affordability is to determine whether a renter can afford to purchase a home, or more precisely, how many forms they can afford, if any. So how exactly do we do this, Mark? I think this is really the key. It's not the traditional way that we typically think about measuring somebody's income, the median renter's income, or the median total individual's income and saying, how does that stack up relative to the medium priced home? It doesn't really matter what the prices of the homes are as much as it is how many homes are there out there that I can afford to buy. So we're really going back to the basic and asking the question about affordability by asking the question that every potential first time home buyer asks themselves, which is, How many homes can I afford to buy? Well, then affording to buy is a function of, okay, how much can I afford to borrow and put down? And we use our house buying power concept. That is, how much can I borrow given an income and an interest rate and a reasonable um, down payment? How much can I afford to buy? And then here's the Lorenz genie trick, if you will, where we let ourselves out of the bottle is where we say, right, given that ability to purchase in terms of dollar terms. We just simply ask the question, how many or how many of all the homes, what are the share of homes for sale that that individual can afford to buy? 
And the renter component in all this, and I think you mentioned it briefly in the beginning, is that we're actually using the renter's household income, which is very different from using a homeowner's income, which tends to be a much, much higher than that of a renter's. So given the information you just mentioned, is it possible that markets with the greatest house buying power are not necessarily the most affordable? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just because you could be able to afford a lot of uh, home buying power in the millions of dollars, don't forget, I'm going to take a small digression here, something that you and I talked about yesterday. With mortgage rates so low, how much do you think you can really afford to borrow? There was an adage from the 70s and 80s, and you know how I really like the 1980s. Um, yes, old, I do. An old adage from the 80s was sort of the rule of thumb was you could probably afford to borrow roughly three times your income. So if your household income was $50,000, you can afford to borrow $150,000, and maybe a down payment would put you up to 160 or 175 for what you could afford to buy. So the, Yeah, the I grew up with that knowledge as well. Multiplier of three, tried and true right? But that was really predicated on a world where interest rates were six, seven, eight percent. Now that rates are three, three and a half, even two and a half or below three, the multiplier is not three anymore. The multipliers with rates below three percent, almost eight times your income. So all of a sudden that $50,000 of household income with an interest rate of two and a half or three percent is a $400,000 mortgage, not a $150,000 mortgage. That's actually what we're seeing in the market today, obviously, is all of that buying power as you go out to look for homes to buy. But again, just because I can afford to buy a $400,000 home doesn't really matter if there are no $400,000 homes for sale and everything is more expensive or the majority of the homes are more expensive. So yes, it's absolutely possible huge amounts of house buying power. Everybody has it today. Doesn't make a market affordable. Right. Well, all of this house buying power, there's there's a dynamic at play here, which is we have a lot more house buying power, but that's also bid up prices because we have people can afford more home. There are not a, enough homes available for sale. So prices have been going up. And so we saw in this most recent report that house buying power nationally actually increased in the fourth quarter of 2020 by almost 10%. And that was really a product of super low mortgage rates. And in the fourth quarter, I think mortgage rates hit 2.7%. So very, very low, but actually, um, the number of homes that people could afford actually declined. Prices went up. And so I think it was something like, uh, you know, it was 57% in the fourth quarter is what people could afford to buy. That was down from 61% one year ago. So even though house buying power went up, the share of homes that people can afford went down. This is perfect. You, you make a great point because we often focus on the concept of affordability as being a demand side problem. But in fact, affordability is also a function of supply high house buying power, nothing for sale, a market becomes unaffordable because there's just not much out there. And that means the share or the number of homes that you could potentially choose to buy within your price range dwindles quickly. I would call that an unaffordable market, just like one with lots of homes for sale where you can't, you can't afford to buy them. In either case, it's unaffordable. I can't find something that I can afford to buy. 
Absolutely. And speaking of markets, this analysis is done at the market level. So we're looking at the top 50 markets in the United States. And just to have a little bit of fun here, what would you think is our most affordable market? If you had to guess, just parts of the United States, where do you think you'd find the most affordable versus the least affordable? I think least affordable is easy. I'd probably guess it's somewhere in California. <laughs> yeah, you're, 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 you're right. You're most right. affordable? I'll pick somewhere in Texas, maybe Dallas or Houston. These are markets where they're building like crazy. They have, you know, relative to anywhere else in the country, there's less of a supply shortage there. So I'll go with somewhere in Texas. How close am I? Well, you're, you're close. You're, you're warm. So our most affordable market was actually Oklahoma City in the fourth quarter of 2020. The median renter, so that 50th percentile, the person making the 50th percentile um, renter household income in Oklahoma City, could afford 86% of homes for sale. So that the median house price in Oklahoma City in the fourth quarter was 184000 whereas the median renter's house buying power was $329,000. So that's a pretty affordable market. You are right on with your least affordable. <laughs> it was LA. <laughs> LA is our least affordable market in the fourth quarter of 2020. The median house price uh, was about $730,000, but the median renter's house buying power uh, was $370,000. So they could only afford 7% of homes for sale in LA. And, you know, that's being a little bit generous because what do those seven percentile homes really look like? Are they livable? Not so sure. I bet you'd have to put a little bit of extra cash into some of those homes to actually make them livable. So even at that point, there's very little for that median renter to buy, if at all. So a very, very unaffordable market. So let's bring this back to the beginning. What does this have to do with the Gini coefficient and with Lorenz curves? And I think this is where it gets a little bit tricky because we have to describe how we're visualizing this, what this really looks like. And so you're making me describe what it looks like. Thanks, Odette. I yes, really appreciate yes. that. Okay. I'll put, I'll put up the visualization somewhere, but you can describe it. Imagine a chart where you put on the y-axis the share, the share value of homes for sale, and on the x-axis the rental income distribution. And so the guy down at the origin of the chart is your zero or first percentile of renter income. And what we want to map out is how much of the housing stock can that person afford to buy? So you sort of go up the y-axis to, you know, a percent or very barely up how much he can afford to buy. And then you work your way along. So that 50th percentile or the median renter, that's halfway down the x-axis. And you just go and find, in your example of Oklahoma City, 87% on the y-axis. So that dot is pretty darn high up there. If it's Los Angeles that we're looking at, that dot is really low down th on there. You can imagine a 45-degree line in that whatever percentile position you are in in the renter income distribution exactly matches the percent share of homes you can afford to buy. So the median at 50% can afford 50% of the homes. The 25th percentile person can afford 25% of the homes. The 75th percentile person can afford 75% of the homes. That would be that 45-degree line. What we do with our Lorenz curves is map out the actual line by percentile of income to see where you are. And you can imagine sort of this S-shaped uh, curve 
that sort of curves along usually for a little while below the 45, and the question is how far below, and then crosses the, the 45 degree line and goes above. So these S curves lined up along the 45 degree line. The degree of equality or inequality is really measured by how far away that curve is from that 45 degree line. And most importantly, where do you cross it? Because you could argue the 100th percentile renter could probably afford to buy practically all the homes. And the 1th percentile renter usually can afford to buy very few of the homes, but it really becomes everybody in between what is their relative share. And the examples you gave are perfect. There's a lot of that line below 45 if you are in LA, and a lot of that S-shaped curve is actually above the 45 degree line if you're in Oklahoma City. Mark, you did a great job explaining it. For anyone interested, we do have all of these charts up on our data center on the econ site, uh, the first time home buyer outlook report. You can look at all these curves. You can find where you land on that curve. Look, check your household income, put yourself on the curve and see how many homes in your market you can afford uh, to buy. You might be surprised. Again, we talked about mortgage rates and the power that mortgage rates have in boosting affordability if there's something out there in your price range for you to buy. So you heard it here, uh, home prices alone do not make or break affordability. It's all about the share of homes for sale that are within the renter's house buying power. So thanks for joining us on this episode of the Reconomy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also sign up for our blog at firstam.com economics. And if you can't wait for the next episode, follow us on Twitter, at Odetta Kushi for me and at M Fleming Econ for Mark. Until next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Reconomy Podcast from First American. For even more economic content, visit firstam.com slash economics. This episode is copyright 2021 by First American Financial Corporation. All rights reserved. For more information, visit us at firstam.com.